We sat wherever we could find space, squeezed onto the couch, splayed on the floor. The carpeted basement room was aglow in the yellowish light of several 60-watt bulbs behind thick lampshades, and we had brought with us the smells of grass and teenage sweat from our frisbee game on the lawn outside. It was a summer Sunday evening, and this was church youth group. There were no more than 10 of us. Asheville Gospel Chapel has always been a small congregation. In the sanctuary, there was a marquee-style attendance sign with interchangeable numbers and letters that said Sunday School Register at the top, and for most of my 20 years there, the numbers consistently read just over a hundred or so. I would have been seated next to Caleb or Kristen or Jenny, the kids I had grown up with. Between us, we shared countless sleepovers, bonfires, summer camp stories, and viewings of the sandlot. We were teenagers now, and although the chapel lacked the program-driven ministry teams that populate most evangelical churches with endless opportunities to connect with your peers in small groups and social gatherings, we did have Jack and Donna Innes. Jack Innes was on the chapel's elder board, a soft-spoken older man with gray hair and glasses who wore suits to church every Sunday. We called him Dr. Jack, and I wish I knew what the field of study behind that credential was, but it wasn't something I ever thought to ask as a kid. He was the unofficial caretaker of the chapel, dedicated and dutiful, making sure lawns were mowed and income and expense lines carefully recorded and reported back to the church each month. His wife, Donna, was beyond gregarious. She was warm and kind and hospitable and had a way of making you feel like the most important person in the room when she spoke to you. Her hair had precisely one style, an encircling billowy shape entirely her own and entirely consistent for the many years I knew her. Jack and Donna stood in the gap for the chapel's youth, inviting us to their home after Sunday evening services because there was no other formal youth group where we could gather. Donna made cheese dip for tortillas and had lots of soda on hand. We would assault their long front yard with barely organized games that resembled ultimate frisbee or kickball. The evenings would end in that basement room, which was decorated exactly the way you would expect a retired evangelical couple in the 90s whose kids were long out of the nest might decorate it. I remember Dr. Jack taking us through a book written by a modern-day shepherd that was one long metaphor for how his sheepdog was like Jesus. Other times, he would ask one of us to lead our peers in a devotional, a terrifying task that I'm sure was spiritually enriching for all involved. And sometimes, a special guest would spend the evening with us. Asheville Gospel Chapel had no formal staff, no pastor or clergy, or anyone resembling a figurehead. No one was on the payroll. It was truly a congregation-led church, and one of the key tenets of our brand of Christianity was the priesthood of all believers. Every act of service to the community was ordained and holy, no matter who did it. Not having a pastor meant that we had to rely on a network of itinerant preachers who traveled our region speaking to the few scattered Plymouth Brethren congregations. 
We would see the same handful of preachers rotate through our pulpit every couple of months, and naturally we all had our favorites, but one man stood out among the rest. And on Sundays that he was scheduled to preach, the attendance register always showed just a little uptick. His name was, well, still is, actually, I may have just done a little light Facebook stalking, Jonathan Brower. He was the kind of man who was simultaneously imposing and inviting. What they would have called a man's man, mustachioed and deep-voiced, barrel-chested and tall. He made sports metaphors and often spoke of his work with kids and teenagers in sports camps and after-school programs. He was smart, warm, and exceptionally gifted at public speaking and sharing what we all presumed to be the Word of God. It seemed like a bit of a coup that night at youth group, with Jonathan Brower sitting among this handful of sweaty teenagers. Dr. Jack and Donna had coerced him into extending his stay in Asheville a couple more hours so that the undersized youth group might benefit from his years of study and experience as a professional preacher. He had thrown frisbee with us, eaten nachos with us, and now he was going to share a spiritual insight that would surely deepen our faith and draw us closer to God. Perhaps he was preached out having delivered two sermons that day already, because instead of opening a Bible or spinning a tale, Jonathan Brower looked around the room and asked us what we wanted to talk about. This was kind of an exciting prospect. The chance to pick the brain of the best preacher we knew. At least it was for me. My friends, who moments before had been boisterous, were suddenly subdued and shy. The silence stretched out. And, as it so often seems to happen, I began to feel personally responsible for the breakdown in communication. I wanted to make sure our youth group was well represented to this legendary man. As others fidgeted and became suddenly interested in the throw pillows they were holding, I started to formulate a question that Jonathan Brower could really sink his teeth into. I don't know what he was expecting us to ask him that night. There are usual subjects that tend to come up when adults talk Jesus to Christian teenagers. Things like how far is too far with the opposite sex or some version of the need to resist the influence of the world and keep a strong faith. Whatever Jonathan Brower might have been expecting, I'm betting it wasn't a 14-year-old's query on penal substitutionary atonement. I have a question, Mr. Jonathan Brower, sir. We know that the wages of sin is death and eternal separation from God in hell, because God can't be in the presence of sin. Jesus died for our sins, and he was dead for three days, right? So if the required punishment for one person, for just one sin, is an eternity in hell away from God, how did one man pay for all the sins of every single person who has ever lived or ever will live with just three days in hell. And furthermore, Jesus is God, so can God really even be present in hell since he can't be in the presence of sin? If not, where was Jesus for those three days he was dead? And if he was in fact in hell, how did three days for Jesus equal eternity for literally every other human? I'm not going to lie, I definitely got off on the fact that I had clearly surprised Jonathan Brower. He took off his glasses and rubbed his palm down the side of his face and said, Wow, I didn't expect the hardballs right out of the gate. One of those sports metaphors he was so good at. Turns out, though, 
that stumping the best preacher I knew wasn't as gratifying as I initially hoped. I don't remember his exact response, but I do remember that I found it deeply unsatisfying. He started talking about the mystery of salvation, but quickly set about trying to explain every element of that mystery in excruciating detail that only left me more confused. At the end, all I knew was that Jesus had magic deity powers, and that was the best explanation for why a punishment that would have cost me an eternity only took him three days. The lesson I started to learn that day that ended up taking me another 10 years or so to fully absorb is that the people in my evangelical orbit were deeply entrenched in a faith that prized allegiance above reason, belief over intellect, and acceptance before doubt. Not knowing was not an option because God had already made evident everything our human minds needed to accept that Jesus was Lord. God in flesh, whose substitutionary death ransomed sinners from the power of damnation, and whose resurrection assured the ultimate, but still forthcoming, victory over an enemy named Satan. Until that victory, we believe, and abide by a restrictive moral code, and evangelize. It seemed a simple way to live, but then we had volumes in our church library written about salvation and how it worked. We devoted whole semesters at my Christian high school to the study of atonement. There were entire colleges and seminaries waiting for us to enroll so that we could further understand the mechanics of our salvation, a fundamental requirement for access to God, but so inexplicable that generations later, we find ourselves wading through endless, obscure marshes of doctrine and exposition just to be sure we got it right. To this day, I don't doubt Jonathan Brower's sincerity or his integrity. He modeled so many things that weren't in my world growing up. A man who was both strong and kind, both formidable and gentle. I very much wanted to follow in his footsteps as a teacher, sold out to the truth I proffered. It's just that, for me, I discovered I couldn't do it. I couldn't be beholden to a salvation system that I couldn't understand, but required my full investment. I couldn't subscribe to a faith that prized my allegiance over my reason. Maybe if we had been able to stop at the words, the mystery of salvation... If I had been taught to be comfortable with the inexplicable. If I don't know was an acceptable response from our trusted preachers. Maybe then I could have stuck it out. I know there are traditions that are better at this. But at the end of the day, evangelicals aren't very comfortable with mystery, are they? We needed to explain and analyze and document the whole of it. From the way we get saved to the number of people in the pews each Sunday. In so many ways, my spiritual engagement these days, these heathen conversations and deconstruction, they're simply about going easier on myself. Learning to give myself more space to roam, reminding myself to loosen my grip. Walking into mystery and just breathing. 
and accepting that all of us back then were duty-bound to a really inflexible, unforgiving system that was hard to challenge. Whatever traumas I need to work through, I can still remember with deep affection Dr. Jack and Donna, who didn't have to, but found a way to make a little more space available to us in their basement. And Jonathan Brower, who, after all, had been asked to explain the inexplicable by a boy who felt as much pressure to have the best question as he probably felt to have the best answer. conversations for the godless. I'm Matthew Blake. Welcome to Heathen. Okay. You ready? I think so. Hi, Heathens. It's uh, another episode. I'm Matthew Blake, and I'm sitting here with the doctor. The doctor is in. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, my friend, Jeremy Fackenthal. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Dude, thank you for being here. I'm glad to be here. This is like, uh, it's, this is the latest, we're, we're, all, we're coming up on 9 p.m., so this is the latest I've ever done a Heathen episode. Hmm. So I'm thinking it should be called like, Heathen After Dark. <laughs> Not really. But, um, but we do have the wine, mm-hmm. and we've kind of like talked a little bit about what we're going to do today. Yeah. But why don't we start with you saying hey to everybody and letting them know who you are. I like to have, you know, the folks introduce themselves so that it's not, you know, me like telling the little sliver of your life that I know. (laughs) You get to be who you want to be on this thing. So. Okay. Who are you, Jeremy Fackenthal? Um, I am Jeremy Fackenthal. (laughs) Um, I, I grew up in the Midwest in Indiana. Mm. I went to seminary out there. Um, I decided that ministry was not my thing. And so I pursued sort of the academic study of religion, um, which brought me to California. I've been in California for 10 years now. Yeah. When, at what point did you decide ministry was not... (laughs) Were you like in college? No, I was in seminary. It was oh, you were in seminary. Uh, at that point. It was about <laughs> you were already doing it midway through my like first year of field education work. What was it? What tipped you off? Um, I just thought it was boring. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. What kind of like ministry were you going into? Um, originally, I had thought about youth ministry. Um, I think. I think pretty quickly I'd determined that that probably wasn't the right fit for me. Yeah. Um, so I was just sort of thinking about, you know, solo pastor of a small church, mm-hmm. something like that. It had to be small. I just sort of assumed that's where I would begin <laughs> in, in the American Baptists, which was the, the was slash is the group that I sort of, glom on to. <laughs> um, <laughs> most churches are pretty small. Yeah, that's a- true. Especially in Indiana. So, so you and I have, uh, we've 
hung out for a while now. How long have we been friends? Hmm. I mean, I guess it was, it was, it would have been like 2010. Wow. How about that? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because that's when I started dating the person who introduced me to you. Yeah. Um, I think we met around this time of year. I think it was that the your, first you time you just gotten your, you just finished your PhD. Yeah. 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 Um, so speaking of the PhD, so that, so you decided, you decided not ministry. I'm going to go into mm-hmm. just like academia, like, like theology of, yeah. And that took you to California. Right. It did. Yeah. Um, so I, um, I moved to Claremont, California outside of LA and did a PhD in philosophy of religion and theology at Claremont Graduate University. Hmm. Yeah, and I asked you about that earlier tonight mm-hmm. at dinner. <laughs> I was like, that's like everything. Like the, <laughs> the philosophy of real religion and theology, that's like, that's all the things. But you uh, kind of, you focused on Western religions and yeah. uh, let's talk about your... Um, your dissertation, because okay. it sounded really, really interesting, and I, I made you stop talking about it, because I was like, save it for the podcast. <laughs> I'm going to be surprised. I want to be surprised. <laughs> uh, my dissertation was on post-Holocaust philosophy and theology, and um, I I wrote that by looking at the, um, the problem of coming to terms with the past and looking specifically at how Germans sort of uh, dealt with that issue and, and even coined that phrase after the Holocaust. Um, so how Germany... Can you say that again? The problem of... The problem of coming to terms with the past. Coming to terms with the past. And this was a mm-hmm. German expression. Yeah, in fact, they there was long one long word for it. Like, <gasps> like true to German. Yeah. Vergangenheitsbewältigung. Yeah. <laughs> say, say it again. Vergangenheitsbewältigung. Oh, I love it so much. Yeah. The longest German word I've known so far is just schadenfreude. So, uh, so this, I want to learn this one. Say it again. Vergangenheits, which means uh, the past. Vergangenheits. Bewe- Fe- mm-hmm. Then bewältigung. Bewältigung. Yeah. Vergangenheits bewältigung. Yeah. Did I get it kind of? That's right. That's pretty good. Right, sweet. Yeah. You didn't know you were going to get a German lesson on heathen today, but <laughs> there you go. Um, okay. So the problem of coming to terms with the past. Yeah. And you're looking at post-Holocaust theology, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. like a, a Jewish theology, Judaism. Or? Yeah. So I, I I looked at Jewish theology. Ultimately, I I developed a Christian theology of remembrance. Mm. Um, so using Jewish sources and then also Christian sources after the Holocaust, uh, and then some philosophical critiques to say that ultimately. Um, it should be a sort of a theological norm to uh, remember the past and remember even those most harmful aspects of the past um, because remembering those rather than sort of like sweeping them under the rug is the only way that we'll be able to prevent those things from creeping back in uh, or popping up again. I love it. I love it because that's, <laughs> I feel like, we're doing that a little bit with heathen, mm. like yeah. just a little yeah. bit, like but 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 specifically for you know folks touched by evangelicalism and, um, well any kind of of, of of Christianity really, and and maybe someday beyond Christianity, I don't know. Like I feel like mm-hmm. heathen's going to evolve as we go, but um, yeah, you have to the, the, just the importance of of holding on to those memories, 
but as like a theological mm-hmm. practice, like what does that look like? Hmm. Is that is that, I mean, part of a of a some sort of ritual like like perpetual uh, continued ritual that you do on a regular basis, or like how do you memorialize stuff in your theology? Um, that's a good question, and that's one that no one has ever asked me. <laughs> Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Score one for me. <laughs> um, no good. Let's let's we can talk it out. Yeah, I think there are ways of memorializing the past um, in a sort of like non-traditional memorial mm-hmm. sort of a way. So so the a traditional monument or memorial to the past that you would think of like in your city downtown or city park yeah is like a a specific stone sculpture that sort of is there and you go and visit it and look at it and maybe while you're standing in front of it you think about uh what it's meant to memorialize Mm -hmm. but it doesn't do much more than that yeah Yeah. those people were who who that person was what they did Mm -hmm. the fact that we still feel the impact today Mm -hmm. okay but so there's also a critique of that. So the critique is that it's a very passive way of remembrance. Mm. Um, so because it can become so commonplace, right? Yeah. So there have been um, artists who have actually c- contributed or, or constructed memorials for the Holocaust in particular that are uh, like a more active form of remembering that that either are triggered by you walking through a certain place and so something happens when you're there mm-hmm. um, or it requires you to actually contribute something to the memorial itself. Mm. Um, so I think that that more like active way of memorializing and remembering is, is really important. So I think it's not just in, in a religious setting or a Christian setting. It's not just like reciting something but it may involve like uh, a reflection that you write or that you yeah. share with someone or I mean, I think ultimately it should lead to a sort of interreligious dialogue and talking to Jewish people and yeah. Mm. yeah I mean, so much of that we do, or at least in some of the traditions I've been in, you know that's part of weekly worship or gathering, yeah um. I mean, just just from from the uh, constructing a liturgy or a sermon every week, like that, like that's not something everybody participates in. Obviously, that the, the clergy does that, but mm-hmm. um, but you're part of it because you come and you participate. You sing, you pray sometimes. <laughs> um, yeah, even like constructing a prayer, you're you're memorializing a lot of times just through prayer. Right. Um, okay. This is, I, I think it's really fascinating, especially in context of what we're going through right now in the country. Um, mm. I mean, I'm just thinking about the, the Confederate statues that um, people have been tearing down or, yeah. want, or wanting to have torn down. Yeah. Um, and I'm like right there with those people. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like, to bring them all down. Anything that is anything that is erected in honor of a system 
that has oppressed. Um, yeah. yeah, bring bring it down. In 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 my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also aware of this flip side of this coin too, of of like how do we remember what we've done so that so that we don't um yeah let let as you said let this stuff creep back in yeah um, yeah and there's also I think like a a right way to remember and not that like I'm not one of those people who thinks there's a you know one right way to do <laughs> everything yeah no yeah. but but there is a a way to remember on the side of the oppressed. Yeah. That it is clearly not present in those statues. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, when it comes to evangelicalism, um, I mean, I, I also fall into the camp that says, burn the fucker down. Like, <laughs> just bring it all down and let's see what, remains when let's see what lasts if you if you take a hammer to the thing and and tear apart the structure and tear apart the like the networks and and the things that that help uh that have helped evangelicalism to thrive Mm -hmm. um like what lasts after that you know what do the what do the people have in their souls Mm -hmm. in their minds when it's all, when their structure is gone mm-hmm. and when their systems and their, even their places, like their physical places of right. worship are gone, like what remains? And I mean, like, that's like the, the very literal <laughs> uh, version of deconstruction. <laughs> yeah. That's not, I yeah. mean, like the, obviously that's not what is going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But um, it is what happens for a lot of us, I think. Um, I mean, that's that's what I've been doing for a long time mm-hmm. now. I feel, and certainly, of more um, in recent days with much more uh, like focus and intensity mm-hmm. and like haste, haste, <laughs> haste, haste to bring me deconstruction. Yeah, you know we are so binary. Right, Are we, mm-hmm. that's just the human way of being. Uh, this and that, yes and no, black and white. Yeah. Um, and we're so linear. Mm-hmm. So because we're just here for a minute, it's really it's it's just the easiest path to fall into these the, the systems of right of one or the other, and yeah. and to just focus on what is now. Yeah. And not to have any kind of memory. Yeah, you just want to make sense of things in the easiest way possible. Yeah. And so someone who's offering very black and white solutions seems really attractive. Yeah. Yeah. Why why does that become not enough for some of us, you know? Like, why mm-hmm. are we sitting here across from the table, like, <laughs> you know, look, <laughs> yeah. looking at it and saying, well, it, you know, the binary way of thinking didn't work mm-hmm. um, I just more than ever I'm just like I, I do I just want it I want it to go away I want the system to go away so that we can see what we still have mm-hmm. when it's all gone
I feel like we're like already like super into this stuff, but we haven't gotten to know you yet. So <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, what, uh, what was you, so you said American Baptist, was that, that mm-hmm. was your upbringing too? It was. Yeah. Tell me about American Baptists. Okay. We are, um, a group that kind of like runs the gamut on <laughs> from very progressive to very conservative. Um, somehow we all kind of stick together around some com- common issues or commonalities. Yeah. Uh, but that's not certainly easy all yeah. the time. Um, I would say not. Yeah. What are the things that you, you, you kind of form around? What holds it together? What's the glue? Um, hmm. I think, I mean, interestingly, so the Baptist principles are... Um, basically built around autonomy and the idea that each individual has the right to read scripture and come to their own conclusions. Really? So, so when you hold that as a basic principle, um, then you have to be able to sort of agree to disagree on things. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's like a, a very basic tenet of, okay. So how does, how does, um, American Baptists differ from Southern Baptist, which is probably mm-hmm. what I know yeah. most of when I think when I think of Baptist, that's probably what I'm thinking of. My my right. grandma had a, went to a Baptist church, and I think that's what it was. The uh, so the split happened, and this is just historical information. So I'm not like, you know, I'm telling it like it is. <laughs> the split happened because uh, this is the the Thal revised version. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, there was a group in the South. Um, of Baptist missionaries who wanted to be able to take their slaves with them to the mission field, and the Baptists in the North did not think that that was appropriate. So, so that was sort of the start of the split. What? So, yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. Slavery was the issue. Yeah. Okay, they wanted to take their slaves into the mission field with them mm-hmm. to to serve them as they are serving God. Right. Okay. When you say the the Northern Baptists didn't think it was appropriate, just m- meaning not appropriate, or like they were just did they like condemn it and say no, this is wrong? Like slavery no, they, itself is wrong. Or? Yeah, they ultimately condemned it, okay. and yeah, and there were there were members of the Northern Baptists who were, which is what eventually became the American Baptists, um, who were strongly abolitionist. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so. As this thing unfolded, are the American Baptists all over the country, or are they prim- primarily? The uh, we do not have a stronghold in the South. <laughs> I would say. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Hence, hence Southern Baptists. Right. But there are American Baptists in the South too. Um, uh, yeah, fairly concentrated on the East Coast and the Midwest, certainly, mm-hmm. um, w- with growing populations in the on the West. Okay. Um, you say we when you talk about them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which is kind of funny because I... <laughs> yeah. Wait, so, well, let's... T- yeah, tell me about your, like, personal journey with your faith. Like. Yeah. I So I grew up in an American Baptist church. My mom went to seminary, started seminary when I was in third grade. Your mom started seminary when you were third grade. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, the church that I grew up in is also the church that she grew up in which was, I would say, more certainly more conservative. Okay. Um, and I remember very vividly uh, certain 
Sundays or, or days when um, like her, the fact that she was going to seminary became a real problem for some people. Okay. Uh, and they were not okay with a woman who would be uh, leading them in the church. Huh. Um, yeah. So there was fear around that, like that she would come back to your, your church and like work there essentially. Mm-hmm. Okay. And which in fact she did oh. do. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So she came back and she was the, the co-pastor of the church, uh, for some time. And then the solo pastor of that church until she, um, went to the, the church where she is now. Okay. Yeah. This makes me happy. I like this story. Yeah. Um, did people like, what was the, did people leave? Um, I think, uh, I, you know, I don't remember. I, uh, it's likely that some did, uh, but the, I mean, the core members of the church stayed and so there was a lot of growth and, um, willingness to sort of bend and flex and accept her. See, this is, yeah, this is like not the norm. It's not, excuse me, this is not, uh, what I understand to be the norm like that yeah it's not my my experience is dramatically different (laughs) right Um, yeah (laughs) because i've never (laughs) i've never been a part of a church that went through something like that Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. was able to come together yeah uh you know something that potentially divisive you know like women in leadership or in my case gays in leadership yeah yeah (laughs) um so that's really cool that there was a you know, whatever happened there. Yeah. They came out on the other side and, and stuck it mm-hmm. out. And I'm sure we're better for it. And I'm sure people mm-hmm. loved your mother's leadership. And in fact, they called a woman pastor after my mom left that church too. Oh, meaning that like, that's, that's who they hired. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Like, and that's the congregation's choice to be able to. Right. In the American Baptist it is. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Go, yeah. is it, is it Reverend? What are the, like, Pastor, mm-hmm. Reverend? Go, Reverend. Go Reverend Fackenthal. Yeah. Love it. Um, okay, so you grow up there. Yeah, so my, my parents were fairly, I would say liberal, progressive, mm-hmm. uh, at least open-minded, um, sort of all along. Um, but the, the church was not, necessarily. Yeah. Um, and I can remember, like, specific instances where, like I was sort of shocked by some of the things that people said. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I think having having two parents who were open minded was helpful. Um, so for me, I I always sort of had that open minded outlet and and perspective. You didn't have to go on the journey a lot of us do, where we're like having a crisis of faith because we want to include people who look differently or whatever, right. like that kind of thing. Right. Like you, you just kind of had that instilled in you. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. That's what I mean, it was nice. certainly, I was, I think it, it was an evolution for me or, or, or my own thinking and my own thoughts around Christianity and religion in general mm-hmm. certainly evolved. Um, but it wasn't ever, it didn't, it never culminated in, in like a crisis of faith. I wouldn't say it was yeah. a, um, a s- slower process. Yeah. You were living in San Diego when you finished your PhD, right? Yeah, I was. So, so that was in Claremont. Then we moved to San Diego. Uh, my friend Tripp actually, who was in grad school with me, told me about this church that, uh, like 
liked gay people and mm-hmm. was progressive, but also um, just kind of cool and had a bunch of people our age. Mm-hmm. Um, so we checked it out. And yeah. And it's been a few years, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but you stopped going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and we don't have to get into like all the details of why, because I know it gets mm-hmm. a little personal and I don't know, still relationships there. So, but I don't think, I don't think it was just what went down. I don't know. Hopefully I'm not putting words in your mouth, but I don't mm-hmm. think it was just what went down in that particular group of people at that particular church. Right. Like there's, there's more, right? Yeah. For why when you when you stopped going there, you didn't go elsewhere. Yeah. This yeah. Is and where I we think... get into the heathen part. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I think one of those things is fairly personal for me, and then one of those things is fairly uh, is something that um, my wife and I share. Mm-hmm. So the personal part is that I I because I have gone through the academic study of religion and because that's sort of the primary way that I've connected to Christianity in the last 10, 12 years, um, that's a really important piece for me. Uh And so um, emotional experiences that are evoked in worship are not the primary way that I connect. So I really need some kind of like stimulating experience way to uh, be involved in church, whatever church means. And by stimulating, you mean intellectually stimulating. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. I, I want to think about things, and I want to talk about those things with other people. Nice. So, like, sitting for an hour and a half is not the primary way that I <laughs> want to connect. Right on. Yeah. Um, we're super different <laughs> in, that, <laughs> in that regard, right? Like, because I'm all about the emotional connection. Yeah. And yeah. That, you know, like I can be triggered by so many right. things. Like, which is also weird because, like, on the Myers Briggs, I'm definitely a, a feeling person rather than a thinking person. Yeah. But at the same time, I have to have that uh, intellectual stimulation. Yeah. I, I mean, I, the older I've gotten, obviously, the more I've needed. I'm I'm not even remotely an academic or anything like that, but I do need, um, like, just rational. <laughs> um, I need logic to play a big part of mm-hmm. why I do what I do in the world. Yeah. Um, and and science and just good methodology and just solid understanding behind how things work like mm-hmm. all that's very important to me but at the same time i would say the one thing and i think i have said this before on this podcast but the one thing i need to stay connected is like the emotional like spiritual component that i that i can't explain mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. not that's not even what i need to stay connected that's just like why i'm still connected because it's still there for me like, interesting yeah and it's almost exclusively in music usually like, yeah because music is a spiritual act mm-hmm. for me um and music with other people is 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 like a heightened spiritual act because it, it you bring in the yeah like the human connection and just like focused minds and bodies and hearts like um 
doing the same thing together. And I think there's mm-hmm. something really, really cool about that. Yeah. So that's why church is just like a place where that happens regularly. So it's super easy. I mean, mm-hmm. like you can get the same thing at a concert mm-hmm. depending on the concert and the artist and what the artist is about. Um, and a lot of times I do, but well, we were talking earlier about like, <laughs> what's the, like what's easy. <laughs> and, and honestly, like going to church, it's easy to get that by going to church every week. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's like one of the reasons I go. Yeah. But, um, so that's different. We're, we're different. <laughs> I knew we were. That's good. Yeah, that is good. Um, so you haven't presumably like found that intellectual stimulus, stimulation. <laughs> I almost said stimulization. <laughs> Not that far into my glass. Of wine yet. Um, <laughs> Uh, in in a church setting, mm-hmm. so that would be one thing that could potentially like make it valuable to you. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. And then you said there was another thing that you and your wife share. Yeah, we're really looking for. Uh, I mean, I guess like all millennials in some sense, and we're sort of on the older end of that yeah. spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, <Wait>. see, your, <laughs> your wife, though, Megan, and I both claim the zenial word. Right. Which right. I really like the idea of the zenial. Yeah. The micro generation that kind of like grew up with, grew, we grew up the way our parents grew up in a lot of ways, you know. With, right. Without technology. Yeah. I didn't have a cell phone until no, grad school. I didn't have one. Yeah. In, yeah. Until after college, for sure. Yeah. Um, and I mean, computers were like the extent of that was just like a typing class on whatever word perfect or whatever. Like, yeah, right. And using AOL. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We like had AOL that, in high school. Like chat rooms but and stuff. But, yeah, like, yeah. But that was high school. Like, yeah. I mean, middle school even. Like, I, I don't remember oh, no. interacting with computers very much at all. So right. Maybe Oregon Trail. Like that. That would be it. Yeah. So anyway. I'm like totally like what were we saying? Um, oh, so we're <laughs> sorry. <laughs> My millennial soapbox. So the, <laughs> um, so the other thing that we're really looking for is action and ways to connect um, that make a difference in the community. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So I, I'm more interested in doing stuff mm-hmm. uh, than than passively sitting in in church. Yeah. What is it? What would you do? Like if you had just no oh, man. Um, restrictions on and like, I guess if you were to go to a church, what would it, like, what would your ideal church be? Like, what would they be doing? Mm-hmm. I'd love a, a community, a group of people that uh, got together to like read and discuss something on a weekly basis yeah. that um, shared life together in a sense. So shared meals once a week at least um community is still very very important to me yeah um but then also a group that that got together to engage in projects or activism in some way Hmm. yeah you don't need a church for those things (laughs) (laughs) like join join a book club right yeah uh, or start a book club, better yet. Yeah. I'll be part of your book club. <laughs> um, uh, un- unless, you know, like we're reading. Well, I see Tillich. I would read Tillich. <laughs> yeah. looking, your bookshelf is literally behind you right now, and I'm looking at right. all these like, high academia. It is books. the, oh, that's the theology bookshelf, and, too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, is it? Okay, good. The philosophy is over there. Oh, yeah, that would be and, more fun. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, there we go. Marks. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, join a book club. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, cultivate community around meals. Like that's yeah. just what we do. Like yeah. that's what people our age do. Right. <laughs> we go out to eat with each other. Yeah. And stuff like that. Um, and then yeah, service projects like. You don't need a church to do that either. Right. And activism. I mean, there's like a whole new wave, like awesome, beautiful mm-hmm. stuff that's happening right now mm-hmm. in the world um, in terms of activism. And people are just getting more involved than ever before. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I'm just like saying that or noticing that <laughs> everything you're saying you want. Yeah. Like, that's I think you're bringing up a really good point and an interesting question. Like, yeah. So then what is it about religion or Christianity in particular that still holds appeal? Yeah, so it does it? And it it does for me because I find the message of Jesus to be rather compelling Mm. and rather revolutionary. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you can't get that in a lot of places. Right. Although, I mean, there are... Like, I think there are a lot of people doing what we're doing right now, you know, mm-hmm. like ex-evangelical, whatever, post-church, I don't know, whatever yeah. you want to call it, who are, like, gathering in bars and around glasses of wine and having conversations. Yeah. Um, and here, there are even, like, secular groups that get the message of Jesus probably way better than we do. Oh, for <laughs> so, sure, for sure. Yeah. So this is interesting. Let's talk a little bit about Jesus. Um, mm, I don't Jesus. think. Mm, yes, the Lord. I don't because I don't think we've talked uh, directly about Jesus a lot on this thing yet. Um, um, where to start with Jesus? Mm. Okay, well, tell well, me, it's... tell me what you find compelling and revolutionary. Let's like, I guess let's mm-hmm. start there. I think that um, the stories that are recorded in the Gospels point to uh, a sort of countercultural movement in terms of um, certainly economics, but also just sort of like the political social structure. Mm-hmm. Um, so giving favor to those who are the least of these um, rather than giving favor to the Roman emperor uh, sort of like turns the whole system on its head mm. in terms of the way that, um, I mean, Palestine at the time was under military occupation by the Roman Empire. Yeah. Um, so it was not a free society by any means. And everything that Jesus said and did went against that. Mm. Um, yeah. I'm, <clears throat> I'm at the, I mean, I'm, I'm coming off a period of my life where I just really didn't want anything to do with any of it. Um, I didn't want to talk Jesus. I didn't want to talk Bible, mm-hmm. um, because I just needed, needed that time because it, uh, cause I had my yeah. whole life and I, and I, and I needed to not for yeah. a period. I don't have to justify that. Right. Right. Um, but I think I am like coming to a point where like the conversation of 
of Jesus is a little bit interesting again, a little mm-hmm. bit maybe. Um, but And for some of those reasons you just said, um, there are people, like there are people who do like care about the story of Jesus who talk about that person um, and it's compelling to me. Like, I guess that's like, I'm not, I'm not right. compelled at all to pick up my Bible right now. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, <laughs> I am in a little book group that meets every week. <clears throat> and uh, so far we've read like, we, we've read a lot of different stuff um, like Brene Brown and um, Liz Gilbert that like that really cool, like life, tools stuff mm, mm-hmm. and then like um ta-nehisi coats like looking at uh, cool you, you know yeah. issues of race and americans things like that so we've read a lot of stuff but nothing that's been like really super explicitly christian well maybe a couple we've read some richard Rohr, and, um <clears throat> but anyway so like just this month we, we kind of finished a book right before december ended so like um the guy who kind of like organizes our group suggested, Hey, let's, let's read for each week in December. Let's read one of the accounts of Jesus's birth from the Bible and mm-hmm. come and talk about it and like, come and like bring two observations about it. Hmm. And I was like, Nope, <laughs> I'm good. I'm taking December <laughs> off. Uh, That's... I, I, I mean, I, that yeah. was my that was my initial like that was yeah. my gut reaction. I was just like, which ah. is valid and fine. Like, if you've had really harmful, painful experiences with people hitting you over the head, yeah, or other places of your body with <laughs> scripture, <laughs> that, where to that, show me on the doll where they hit you with the Bible? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Yeah. Well, thank you. You're right. Yeah. I think it's I think it's valid too. I also. Um, you know, paused after a little bit of reflection and thought, well, would it be so bad? <laughs> like, would it be so bad to read these stories again um, right now? And uh, and so I had actually decided to go, and then I overslept. <laughs> so I missed, I missed the first week. So uh, maybe this week I'll make it. Um, I don't know. Um, when it comes to Jesus, I... For me, I I don't uh, like Jesus isn't my savior. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus isn't like divine in in it, Jesus is no more divine than you or I are divine mm-hmm. in my in my understanding. Um, like these are some of the reasons why I say I am not a Christian and can't be because I feel like some of the most basic things that you kind of need to believe about Jesus, like about Christ to take on that label. Like I, I just don't. Um, yeah. And I don't because, um, well, because I don't need to, Mm Mm-hmm. At this point in my life, I don't need to. And honestly, I don't know that I ever needed to. It's just... I needed to... Before I needed to believe it in order to hold on to 
my understanding of how the world worked and my place in it. Like both of those things, Mm. how the world works and where I fit in it were both very, like they hinged on what you believe about Jesus. Yeah. Um, in terms of how the world worked, it's because, you know, you, <laughs> because th- this world is a, is a, uh, it's a waiting room, right? Like that's, that was the understanding I was raised with. Um, we're constantly preparing for the next life. Um, and what you believe about Jesus is critical. Mm-hmm. So it mattered that I have a really good understanding of, or, you know, that I have beliefs about Jesus for that reason. And then like just finding my place in it would just had to do with, you know, I didn't know what else existed in the world. I didn't mm-hmm. know there, I didn't know there were communities that I didn't know there were communities even within Christianity that like where people thrived <laughs> and mm-hmm. didn't believe all the same things um, that we did. I just thought I was always told that those people were also in jeopardy, right? Like right. if you don't believe exactly these specific things, you're out. Yeah. So like Catholics, sorry, you, uh-huh. you guys are, they, they like, it was explicitly said to me growing up, like Catholics aren't real Christians. Right. Um, so, I mean, I wasn't about to mm. risk like, you know, falling from grace when everything was so good for me growing up. And yeah. I say so good, it wasn't so good. I just thought it could be worse. You know, yeah. I thought it could be way worse. So, well, when the stakes are that high, I mean, when your your like eternal salvation is on the line, yeah, that tends to sort of freak you out a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. as yeah. a child especially. Come on. Yeah. Man, and you're told that from early early mm-hmm. ages. So I guess once like getting, you know, living my life and, and interacting with people and building my own communities around stuff that's not Jesus-y. Yeah. And then, and, and coming to places where I find more life, like more, yeah, more life, more living to do. Mm-hmm. Um, then because I wasn't even like permitted to do a lot of living, right? Like there's so much yeah. you can't do when you're attached to Jesus. Um, so when you kind of get out from under that thumb and find a world where, oh, like I'm not, like maybe, maybe, I, maybe my mortal soul is in jeopardy, but my life right now mm-hmm. is not like it's mm-hmm. better. <laughs> yeah. You know, my life right now is so much better. Um, yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to go back to Jesus if that's been your experience, I think. Yeah. For me. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I think, uh, so yeah, when you interest mentioned the, um, the sort of not of this world version of Jesus. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I, I hate those little stickers on the back of cars because <laughs> uh, that is the basically the furthest thing from my understanding of the Gospels as possible. Yeah. But I, I would honestly say that I think <laughs> I think reading Marx, as in M-A-R-X, <laughs> <laughs> saved Jesus for me um, or saved my understanding of Jesus because I, I think that it 
it reoriented me toward an understanding of the Gospels that focuses on the here and now and on the material conditions of reality and that we are called to, to change those yeah. uh, and to live and be in favor of the oppressed. So do you see a Jesus who is like preoccupied with that stuff? Yeah. Like that's the Jesus you read? Yeah. Hmm. We've got a, a dude who is really preoccupied with the systems that mm-hmm. he was born into <clears throat> and upending those systems, which is what, I mean, it's what we're about. Like that's right. what, that's what <laughs> everybody in my life is about right now is yeah, like yeah. fixing these systems, not fixing in it, like burning them down in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Um, or fixing. Some people want to fix. Um, not all of them. Not everybody is as like dr- drastic as I am right. about it. Um, huh. Interesting. So it's, um, yeah. I mean, I get it. I totally get why Jesus still matters to you and to mm-hmm. so many other people. I just haven't felt that personal. Like I haven't personally yeah. felt compelled yet Yeah. to make it about Jesus again. Mm-hmm. Except for the fact that it is still, and I've probably talked about this a lot, so we don't have to spend a lot of time here, but except for that it is the language I speak. It it is, you know, just just for that reason. It's your cultural milieu, yeah. 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 Exactly. It feels like home. Yeah. Um, So it just makes sense to hang hang out in that world and um, affect whatever change I can affect there. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, which is, I think, really significant. So it, at times in my life, I've thought about the fact that in seminary, I actually fell in love with Judaism, and I think it's a beautiful religion, and I had close people in my life who were Jewish, and I went to synagogue on the holidays with them mm. and found it to be a very profound and moving experience. Um but at the same time there was something there was still something about the the sort of radical reading of the gospels that attracted me and the idea that if i uh, if i stayed in christianity then i could have a voice and and could hopefully shape it for the better for the in the future yeah um, mm-hmm. which is not easy no um, no it's not because there's a lot of a lot of gatekeepers. Yeah. And if you're not, you know, lined up in a very particular way, so many people are just like, you know, you're easy to dismiss. I'm, yeah. I'm easy to dismiss yeah. because I'm gay, because I say I don't believe mm-hmm. in the resurrection, because, um, you know, it's like, like Christians have, a lot of Christians, you know, there's no reason to listen to me. Yeah. Um, in their minds. But the fact of it is, and I love what you said earlier about the American Baptists, like the like one of the fun like the through lines mm-hmm. is uh, like a personal reading, right? And a personal understanding is highly valued. Yeah, like I love that. And if that was a through line in evangelicalism, like that'd be really cool because mm-hmm. then I could come to the table and be like, hey, like I understand things this way. Um. And still be yeah. like invited, and not have to feel like I'm elbowing my way <laughs> into a place at the table. Mm-hmm. But whatever, I'm also like 
speaking of Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram eight, so I don't mind elbowing my way into the table because <laughs> it's like, fuck you. Like I'm here. I'm here. I exist. I'm a person. This I'm is here. The space I'm I queer. Take yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, I'm here. I'm queer. And I'm going to talk about Jesus. God damn it. <laughs> So where are you at? What's like, what do you call yourself? What do you, what oh, do you, man. Uh, <laughs> what do you believe? Like is, if there is a, if you could put words to your, your uh, structure, your yeah. structure right now, like what is that? Um, hmm. I, I still call myself a Christian. Certainly. I think uh, because I believe in the uh, the sort of gospel m- message and the teachings of Jesus in a, a fairly radical sense, um, I align myself pretty far to the left in terms of the way I understand politics and economics. Yeah, and and that is a part of my Christianity or the way that I live out my Christianity. Okay. That's really cool. Um, I like that. I like that phrasing. <laughs> no, that's really cool. Um, that's how you live out your Christian. Like that's a mm-hmm. part of it. Yeah. How you view the world systemically, economically, very leftist. Mm-hmm. Like that is an express. Like you express that through your faith. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Cool. Keep going. Sorry, I didn't mean okay. to interrupt. I mean, I did mean to interrupt. I always mean to interrupt. <laughs> Um, I, so in grad school, I also sort of fell in love with and, and have continued to be a part of this thing called process thought or process theology, which is, um, someday you're reading, uh, you're reading my face right now. And I'm like, right. Yeah. I'm not, I, I don't know what that is. So <laughs> please anyway. keep going. Yeah. I'm not going to interrupt you here. <laughs> uh, someday my friend Tripp and I are supposed to write a, uh, like a lay person's introduction. Oh, in do. a fairly entertaining way, so oh, I hope to do that. Will this be like but, your like your uh, hiking stories? <laughs> oh, my erotica. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <It> uh, might... <laughs> <laughs> you guys, Jeremy has. Oh, I hope you publish it one day. Me too. I really d- hope you do. It's um. Well, I don't want to spill the beans, but there's some really yeah. It's like guidebook erotica, like mm-hmm. outdoor, like like what are some hiking trails I should go on? But it's like erotica. That's right. It's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Yeah. I had the pleasure of hearing that while we were hiking through. Yes, you did. <laughs> through, we did a nightly reading. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good. Woo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so process thought is, <laughs> uh, there's a aspect of the erotic, I suppose, but um, <laughs> it's a, it's about the idea that everything in the world is interconnected, including God. So God is interconnected with um, the world and humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, God changes in relation to the world. So God is not unchanging mm-hmm. uh, or static, but God is constantly evolving as the world evolves and in relationship with the world. Um, so God is affected by the world. Um, 
so I think those are basic to my belief system now. Okay, wow. God's effect, God affects the world and God is affected by the world? Yeah. So like, is it like a God is in all of us kind of thing? Like, what's the... It, it is. So it, it's called panentheism. So pantheism is the idea that, that God is like in everything. So God is like in the flowers and the right. trees and the <clears throat> grass and stuff. Like what we call God is like life force or life energy. Right. Okay. But panentheism means that everything is in God. So that, so that we are participating in God. Um, Process theology talks about God as luring the world or luring every being, every moment of the world um, toward a certain outcome. Hmm. Um, we obviously, well, it, it's obvious to me. <laughs> it's not obvious to everyone. Yeah. We have the freedom to choose to follow that lure or to not. Huh. So, so human freedom and freedom on a, a more like basic level. So a freedom for every moment that comes to exist in the world is very fundamental to process thought. Um, so it's not uh, sort of, um, there's no predestination for sure. Right. Um, yeah. But God lures us toward, toward a certain way of being in the world. Uh, and we have the choice to respond to that. Okay. Um, there's also the idea that that everything is sort of remembered or taken into God's being, and so God is changed by the way that we act or the way that we choose to become. Because when we participate in, like, when we respond to the lure, mm-hmm. the the like like the like being compelled. Yeah. Our very like us, our our personality or our unique like identity comes into that and changes what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I like this. I can I think I can track with some of this. Good. I like it because it gives me some like power. <laughs> <laughs> it does, yeah. 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 Hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. cool, cool, cool. So yeah, still a Christian, and still, and 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 this uh, process theology is a big part of what you believe. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And because of that, I'm sort of like working out my relationship with church and with things. the rest of the with the rest of Christendom. Um, yeah. 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 Where do you do you have any sense of? Where you see that going? I mean, you work like you like your work is still, you know, really connected. Fairly, yeah, to yeah. church, right? You're not a youth minister, youth pastor. No, but, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're still very connected with, with what you do. Mm-hmm. Do you see? What do you see like down the road for yourself? I don't know. I, I I would like to think that that I'll be a part of some community that does the things that, that I'm kind of seeking. So uh, something that stimulates me intellectually and, and gives a place to sort of have conversations with people about things that are important to us. Um, and a, a group with which I can be active and do... Yeah. 
do work that um, creates a better future. <laughs> do you like how I was earlier? I was just like, you don't need a church. <laughs> like you can do all these things, yeah. but like I'm the guy who has all of that stuff that you just talked about, like in a church, yeah. Because I I choose to go, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm <laughs> such a hypocrite. <laughs> um, because the tr- the fact of the matter is that, like, at the end of the day, it's I, you want to be able to do those things within the same context. Like, it's hard. Like, you don't want. Well, I mean. Sometimes in some seasons of life, I guess you do want all of the, all of those things to be in different places and with different mm-hmm. people. Yeah. But you also like having that home base. There's something about having like right. a right. like common your people. Yeah, your people. Yeah. All all in one yeah. spot. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope that you find that. Thank you. <laughs> what um okay, so here's what I'm deciding. I'm looking at the amount of time we've been talking and I had this thing I wanted to do with you, which was answer, like respond to this question we got from yeah. somebody who listens to this podcast. But I also don't want to have an have hour and a half. Yeah. I'm, tra- I'm, I'm trying my hardest to keep <laughs> yeah. the, like some of them have gone over an hour, but I'm trying hardest to keep them closest to an hour. So here's yeah. my, what I propose, like maybe we'll wrap up this conversation and then like, record like we'll we'll record our discussion around that thing and i think what i might do is like put together an episode down the road that addresses oh. like a few questions right. that have come yeah. my way with different people does that sound like yeah it might work? that's good okay cool 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 so we, so you're gonna hear from jeremy again in a future episode <laughs> and we're gonna respond to a question that uh came my way uh about um just about how, like, like kind of talking about the progress of evangelicalism in America. Like, how did we get to where we are today, where mm-hmm. you've got Franklin Graham um, endorsing... Tweeting bullshit stuff about the president. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Someone who sexually assaulted women is yeah. the best leader of our country in the last 40 years. Yeah. yeah. How did we get from m- me growing up in in church and being told, you know like somebody like Trump would have been absolutely for, like I wouldn't have been mm. allowed to watch the like apprentice. The antichrist. Yeah. Even. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Talk about mammon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to being, Oh, we can totally back this guy. So right. that's the question that I think I'd love to talk with you about because you, you are smarter than me about this stuff and you, <laughs> you, you've looked at the American church in an academic context. So we'll have that on a future episode. Jeremy, thank you. Yeah, thank you. For hanging out. Um, I think it's going to mean a lot to folks to be able to hear from somebody who, you know, cares the way you, you care about your faith. Um, Thanks. And I, it means a lot to me, actually, to hear you, like, talk about some of this stuff. Because mm-hmm. like I said earlier, like, when we were having dinner, like, we've been friends for a long time, but I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know what your <laughs> dissertation was about. <laughs> I thought that was super cool. And I couldn't have told, I couldn't have, if somebody had asked you, asked me where you were with your faith Mm -hmm. journey, I would not have been able to answer that. So Mm. I feel like now I can. That's kind of neat. Cool. And I like it. So cheers. Cheers. Here's to the heathens. (laughs) (laughs) And the, oh yes. (laughs) And and the Christians who are fighting in the thing (laughs) to make it, to make it better. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening to Heathen. I'll be back next week with a new guest. 
In the meantime, take a minute to go follow Heathen on Facebook, Twitter, and or Instagram. The handle is at Heathen Podcast. And you can also visit the website at heathenpodcast.com to learn more about this project. Send your comments or questions, and maybe we'll talk about them on an upcoming episode. Lastly, if you like what you hear, I would love and appreciate your five-star review on iTunes. It makes a huge difference for a new podcast. I'm Matthew Blake. Here's to the heathens.